So last weekend, we started on a little journey talking about four words from the scripture that tend to hang out together. And I want to continue on that conversation today. There's these four words, and it's like they always, they hang out in clusters, kind of like grapes do. They they usually don't show up by themselves, not one word by itself. Usually if one word's there in a text of Scripture, there's another one of these four words with it. And sometimes it's not just two words, it's maybe three or maybe it's all four words. They hang out together. And they have some significance in that they hang out together. The four words, the form of the four words come from Latin. The meaning of the four words comes from Greek. And these things shape how we live our Christian lives. And so we're just going to talk today again about these four words and, and what they look like for us. What, happen, what, what happens is this. When you really get grace, grace overflows. And when grace overflows from you, it, it f- overflows in these other three words. So here's the four words we're talking about. One is grace. That leads to generosity. That leads to gratitude. And that leads to gladness. There's this pattern that goes through from grace all the way down to gladness through generosity and gratitude. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what Jesus wants to form in our lives. Grace, generosity, gratitude, and gladness. So today, let's take the next step on this journey. Last summer, I did what I do every summer. I actually do this twice a year, once in the summer, once in the winter. I go off and I do a planning retreat, and I pray, and I seek the Lord, and I read through Scripture, and I'm like, God, what do you have for us at Lakeside Church in the next season of our life together? And so, you know, I do what all great spiritual leaders do when they're trying to find inspiration. I go to the Internet. And scripture and prayer and things like that. But I was on the, I was on the web and I, I, for some reason I was on the website for Tom's Shoes. You know Tom's? Yeah? Tom's is this really interesting company. It's, a, it's primarily a shoe company, although they've branched out into eye care in the last year or so. But it's, they started with shoes and they run on the business principle that they call one for one. And the idea is when you buy one pair of Tom's shoes, they will give to a child somewhere in the world another pair of shoes for free, one for one. And it's a, it's a for-profit company. They're saying, we're going to do well by doing good for others. It's a fascinating concept. Well, Blake Mykoski, Mykoski he could add an easier name, but he doesn't. So anyway, here's, he's a founder of this, of this business called Tom's, all right? And so here's what he says about that whole model of one for one and giving. He said, giving is what fuels us. Giving is our future. I'm like, that really, for a for-profit company, that's your motto? Giving is what fuels us. It sounds suspiciously Christian to me. Doesn't it? I mean, you remember there's that little pretty well-known verse in John chapter 3. You know that one? Verse 16. You know, grab your chin and move it up and down if you've heard of this one. Yeah, right. So how's that go? It's, this is kind of the nature of the Christian life. God so loved the world that he gave. That's the nature of the, of, the, of the whole religion called Christianity. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And here's this for-profit company that says giving is what fuels us. Fascinating. Now, of course, companies like Tom's these days are generating huge followings of rabid fans. Because it's like, oh, we want to be involved in that. So I found some other uh, statements on Tom's Facebook page where people were kind of responding back to them. And here's what some of their, of their fans say or some of their customers say. I want to work for Tom's to be part of something that helps. Well, 
A lot of people want that. Of course, church has been doing that for 2,000 years, right? But, you know, that's what do people want. I want to be able to help someone else. Someone else wrote on, their, on Tom's Facebook page, I own five pairs of Toms, and when I buy them, I'm like, yay, I'm helping children. <laughs> you know, when I buy shoes, what I really want, well, I'm, I'm looking for two things. One is altitude. <clears throat> Truth be told. <laughs> and one is comfort. I mean, I, when I try my shoes on, I'm not, my first thing is not, yay, I'm helping children. My first thing is, does it fit well? I really don't like it when they don't fit well. But there's a ton of people out there who are buying Tom's shoes that they don't all that. They don't, uh-oh, got, all, got carried away and I couldn't say it. They don't last all that long. Anybody have Tom's shoes? Yeah. Do they last very long? Yeah, not so much. Do you buy them anyway? Yeah, because yay, I'm helping children. That's wonderful. And they've got all these loyal, um, raving fans for their company because their company is doing well by doing good. Now, another thing that they've used as a slogan this last summer uh, was this. This is on their website. They said, together we give, be part of the tribe. I'm like, you guys are amazing. Together we give. So now they're saying, we're all in this thing together, and we're going to give. That's our motto. That's our nature. That's our tribe. Oh, and would you like to be part of the tribe too? Together we give. Be part of the tribe. I thought, you know what? That's a beautiful slogan for a church. If I, have a, if I had a friend who was going to start a new church, I'm like, hey, take this slogan. It's better than yours. You know. <laughs> together we give. Be part of the tribe. At Lakeside Church, maybe we'd say it this way. As we think about you know, who we are and what we look like and how we behave in this world, we might say it like this. We give ourselves to others. Be part of the tribe. I mean, I think that's the nature of Lakeside Church. As we've studied our church and kind of evaluated who are we, what are we like, we give ourselves to others. Otherwise, why do we send 200 people down to San Francisco on Thursday? Why do we have 200 people serving here on Thursday? Why? Because we give ourselves to others. Now, here's an invitation. Be part of the tribe. Get in on this. Don't, don't be left behind or left outside on this. Be part of it. Be part of the tribe of those who are following Christ. And because they follow Christ... They give, or because we follow Christ, we give. I'd like to invite you to be part of that tribe. Now, if we're a tribe, if those who are followers of Jesus are, are a tribe, one of the questions that I want to know is, what kind of tribe are we? What kind of group are we? What kind of, uh, of family are we? So let me just take you to a scripture, and let's just think this through a little bit. If you have your copy of the Bible there, why don't you open up to Ephesians chapter 2. And let me read a little bit of passage. Some of this will be familiar, some maybe not quite so much, but let's just read Ephesians 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some next to you on the chair, and you can reach over and, and take one of those if you like. You can keep it, so we'd love you to have that. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul tells us this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I'm like, come on, Paul, talk nice to us. But, but he doesn't. That's not so much, right? He starts off by saying, here's what tribe you are from. You, every one of you, every one of us was part of the tribe of the dead. He said, you were, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sins. And so sometimes sociologists today, they'll say, oh, you know, you're not so bad. You know, sure, people do bad things and they have some bad behaviors, but they sort of learn them and you start up with a clean slate and it's all good. Paul says, that's not how it works. He says, you were all dead. We were part of the tribe of the dead. But then it's weird because he says, you were living in sin, but you were dead. I'm like, wait a second, Paul. How do you be living and dead at the same time? It's like he's saying we're spiritual zombies, which teenagers would really like. It's like, you were living in sin, but you were dead in those transgressions, in those sins. Dead means you're unable to make a response to outside stimulation. Exhibit A, roadkill. You seen it? Right? So road, roadkill's really interesting. Here's this, here's this animal. Here's this creature. It was breathing. It was living. It was pumping blood. It was doing all these things. And then it died on the road. And then when a car comes down the road, you'd think it would look up and go, yeah. But it doesn't. It just lies there. Dead. Making no response to outside stimulation. Paul says, that's what you were in relation to God. You were dead. And so we didn't come from just a a poor family background. We didn't just come from mild dysfunction. We were from the tribe of the dead. That's why we're so broken. That's why we couldn't get it together. That's why we came to faith in Christ. Because we were dead and we needed life. And so Paul describes that as he goes on. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So although we were dead, because of God's great love for us, he made us alive. That's amazing power. To take that which is dead and make it live. That's amazing grace. It's by God's grace that he did that. It was by God's grace that he took those who were dead in their sins and he made us alive. The Bible calls that amazing grace. And when God did that, he transferred us from the tribe of the dead into another tribe that I would call the tribe of the grace-filled. We're now part of the tribe of the grace-filled, and that changes how we live. Paul says, look, this is, this is because God wants to show the incomparable riches of his grace. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are incomparably rich? How come all the rich people cluster over here? (laughs) 
So how much is, anybody want to tell me how much is in your bank account? You're, you're incomparably rich. And you, how much? $300. I'm rich. There we are. Thank you very much. Hold that thought. I'm going to come back to that. Okay, so, all right, so you get the deal, right? Some, sometimes we think, oh, incomparably rich, that's Warren Buffett. He's incomparably rich. And we go, well, no, but if you read the story and God took those of us who were dead and he gave us life through his grace, then we're really all incomparably rich already. But you guys read ahead. Thank you very much for that. Here's the deal. Paul says, God took his incomparably rich grace and he poured it out on us. The word incomparable is the Greek word hooperbalo. It's a word that means to overthrow something. It's like God's grace was so amazing that it overthrew our captivity to sin. It overthrew death for us. Word hyperbalo is the or hooperbalo is the word from which we get our term hyperbole. You know hyperbole? Most of us call it exaggeration. English teachers call it hyperbole. Just to keep you learning, right? Hyperbole means it goes beyond reality. It's exaggeration. It's this huge exaggeration to make a point. That's what God did for us through the extreme riches of his grace. It's like God's grace is so rich that it feels like hyperbole to us. God's grace is so amazing that it could take those who were dead and make them alive, and it feels like hyperbole to us. It feels like total exaggeration. But it's true. Paul says, you are part of the tribe of the grace filled, and God poured out his rich grace on you. And then verse 8. Now, some of you will recognize this. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God's grace does something to us. Sometimes we think that God's grace was only given to us to set us free. It's like I was in bondage to sin and God God gave me his grace and he set me free. But God's grace does more than set me free. His grace does not merely set me free. His grace is intended to make me different. He wants to change me. And so he puts me in this tribe of the grace filled and he says, now I want you to live differently because you've received this grace from me. He saved us by grace through faith. And even faith didn't come from ourselves. It came as a gift from God. And then he says this, for we are his handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know what he's saying? Be part of the tribe. He says, I've got all these good works laid out for you. I've got them prepared in advance for you. I want you to do them. I want you to engage in them. Be part of the tribe. When he says we are his handiwork, he's using a word that the Greeks would use when they wanted to describe the creative activity of the gods. Handiwork is the creative activity of the gods from their perspective. From our perspective, handiwork is the creative activity of the God. And we are it. 
followers of Christ, we are it. We are the handiwork of God. Literally, the word handiwork in Greek, it's the word poema. It's a word from which we get our word poem. He's saying we are the poetry of God. That's how much grace God pours into your life. And sometimes we look at our lives and we go, well, there's not much poetry being lived out. Yeah, but God said, you are his handiwork, you are his poetry. To live something amazing in this world because of grace, be part of the tribe. Okay, so let's say you become part of the tribe. Let's say you choose to be a follower of Jesus, and that begins to change you. What does that look like? What, what are the characteristics, or what is the nature of people who are followers of Christ in this tribe called the tribe of the grace-filled? We have these common characteristics. Every tribe has common characteristics. That's what makes it a tribe. Maybe it's geographic characteristics. Maybe it's... Maybe it's um, physiological characteristics, all kinds of characteristics that might set apart a tribe. The the tribe of Christ, the tribe of the grace-filled is a unique kind of tribe because we all look different from one another. I mean, nobody in the room looks the same. Some of us maybe came from the same family, so we look similar. But, you know, we, we have all these differences. We all have these backgrounds. We have hundreds of people in the room today, and we all come from different backgrounds. And yet we're part of the tribe together. And there's one thing that brings these people from all these different backgrounds together into one tribe. And it's this. We have received God's grace. Through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, we have received God's grace. That makes us part of the tribe. Well, what's true of us then? What are the characteristics that are true of us as God's grace transforms us? Let me give you three. Number one, the tribe of the grace-filled are thanks-givers. Here's where some of the words begin to play together. Grace and gratitude, they play together. The tribe of the grace-filled are thanks-givers. Now, that's, you know, that's not a big shocking news story to anybody in the room. We just celebrated Thanksgiving a couple of days ago. It's like we, we get that Thanksgiving part. Our nation even says, let's set aside a day and let's give thanks. And many people in our country don't know to whom they're giving thanks, but we know. We're giving thanks to God for his blessings. And yet we don't really need a day for that. We don't need a special arrangement on the calendar for that because that's part of who we are as the tribe of the grace-filled by nature. Those who are grace-filled, those who are recipients of God's grace, when you really get God's grace, thanksgiving begins to flow out from you. You can't help it. You can even use this as an evaluation tool to find out, am I in the tribe? Well, how much, is, how much is thanksgiving characteristic of you? How much is the giving of thanks characteristic of you? Because the more you are filled with grace, and the more you understand that you are filled with God's grace, the more that just overflows in thanksgiving. Has to, because grace leads toward thanksgiving. The tribe of the grace-filled are thanksgivers. Secondly, the tribe of the grace-filled are grace-givers. When we really get grace, grace overflows. And one of the ways it overflows is by grace going back out of us toward others. 
And here's where it gets harder because, you know, yes, I've received God's grace, but I don't always want to give it to you. Well, not you in particular. You're all nice, but, you know, some of those people out there. And yet when God fills me with his grace, what comes out of me? Grace. When I really get God's grace, what comes out of me? Grace. It's the nature of how it works. It's the nature of the tribe. When I've, been, when I've realized that I've become a recipient of God's grace, grace overflows from me. Grace overflows from you. The tribe of the grace-filled are grace-givers. And then number three, let's just shorten it down a little bit because this is true. The tribe of the grace-filled are simply givers. That's what's true about us. Here's where generosity and grace, grace leads to generosity. The tribe of the grace-filled are simply givers. We just, we just become generous. When you look at your life, you go, wow, I'm not very generous. Maybe it's because you really haven't grasped everything that God has given to you by his grace. I know for me, this has taken me longer to get a hold of in my life. I don't know what the background of it is. I, there's a lot of reasons maybe that in my life, I'm like, I want to hold on to my stuff. I want to hold on to my time. I want to hold on to my things. I don't, know, I don't know what all that stuff is in the background, but I know that it's taken longer for God to get into my heart and into my mind the idea that he has given me grace, and that means I'm a giver by nature. Generosity just becomes true of us. Generosity just becomes something that we are. Generous becomes something that we are. Because we are part of the tribe of the grace filled. And if you look at your life and you go, oh, I'm not very generous. Then maybe you should go back to God's grace and figure out, have I really grasped what God gave me in his grace yet? And when you really grasp it, that grace begins to overflow in generosity to others. I think this might be why 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 is in the Bible. Remember that verse? Not so much. Remember John 3.16 still, right? You say, okay, you got that one. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it's a little bit more obscure, but some of you will recognize it when I read it to you. The verse goes like this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's where the words dance together again. You got cheerful. You got this gladness aspect next to generosity. And grace and generosity and gratitude and gladness, they go together. And God says, look, I don't want you to give under compulsion. I don't want you to give because you have to. I don't want you to give because someone's got their eyes on your bank account. I want you to give because you're so filled with grace that you can't stop yourself from giving. Don't give reluctantly and don't give under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver, a glad, generous person. God loves that. Why? Because he knows you're part of the tribe. He knows you're part of his family. He knows you're part of his group. When generosity is characterized in your life. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't think the church has always helped Christians make this happen. 
I, I, don't know, I don't know how this tradition got started, but somewhere along the Christian journey, pastors started a, little, a use of a little phrase that really doesn't tell the story of grace, and it doesn't tell the story of generosity. It's just an awkward phrase. And in fact, every pastoral staff member that we brought onto our team, I've had to coach them in the, in the way to describe this when it comes in our worship gatherings. Because we, we come in with a bad habit of understanding how we give to God. And it goes like this. There's a certain place in the service, in most Christian worship services, where the church does the offering thing. You know the offering thing? You've been here long enough, you know we do, we do an offering thing pretty much every weekend. You familiar with that? All right. And I know if you're a guest, you're like, oh no, here comes the offering talk. Um, you know, if you're a guest, hang with me, because this is huge for us as we follow Christ together. And, and learn to be part of the tribe of the grace-filled. When the offering comes in many churches, the pastor will stand up in front of everyone and make this weird statement. He says, okay, everybody, it's time to take an offering. And I'm like, how odd is that? I think what he just said, what that pastor just said, that's impossible. You cannot take an offering. Some of you who are guests are like, phew. No, 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 we're going, we're going to do an offering today, but I'm not going to take it. You can't take an offering. You can only give one. As soon as I take your offering, I'm breaking the eighth commandment. How are you doing on the Ten Commandments, by the way? Number eight, you shall not steal. When I take an offering, I'm stealing from you. I can't take an offering. We don't take an offering. We have never taken an offering at Lakeside Church. But we give one every week. Why? Because we are part of the tribe of the grace-filled. And those who are grace-filled overflow in generosity and gratitude and gladness. And God loves a cheerful giver. And so I just wonder, when we get to the offering part of a service, why does it have to be like the solemn part? You know, why do we have to sort of apologize for the offerings? Like, oh, I'm going to get an offering now. Why do we do it that way? Why don't we just acknowledge the fact that God loves a cheerful giver, and if we're part of the tribe of the grace-filled, we are cheerful givers. And when I say, hey, let's give an offering, why don't you all go, yeah! <laughs> yeah, so some of you remember, we did that, we did that series a, 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 quite a while ago called I'm Rich, right? We talked about the fact if you have $300 in your bank account, you're rich! Yeah, there we, so you're good, you remember. It's like, so we just, you know, we said, look, if you're here in the room, you're rich. You might not have a lot compared to some people in our town, but compared to people in this world, you're rich. We're rich. And so we said, what if we just say, I'm rich, and you go, <laughs> That's like the most memorable talk I ever gave in my whole life. <laughs> and I'm grateful because we're going to transition that into some other practice we're going to do, okay? How about from now on, and we're going to practice today because we're going to give an offering in just a few minutes. What about we practice today, and we just said, when it comes to the time in the service when we're going to do that offering thing, if I just announce it to you, it's like, hey, you guys, it's time to give an offering, and you go, Woo! yeah, because <laughs> we're cheerful givers, right? And some of, you know, my family, we give online now. We do the whole automatic funds thing for the church. Like, that, this makes it better for me because I don't usually have something to give in the basket because we already gave it. But now it's like it comes down my rows. Woohoo! Mine's in there, you know. Can we do that? All right, so I'm just telling you, I've got, we've got one more thing to do before we get to that, but we're going to give an offering in a little bit. When I say it's time to give an offering, okay, good, you're cheerful, you're excited, you're even jumping the gun. That's good, I like it. Okay, you good? Are you in? 
We are, we are part of the tribe of the grace-filled. It means we're filled with God's grace. It means we overflow with gratitude, cheerfully, gladly, with thanksgiving in our heart. That's who we are. So we'll get to that in a minute. Before we get there, I want to give you a little, I want you to meet someone. I told you last week about this um, ministry called Folsom's Hope in our community over at Theodore Judah School. And I said, this weekend, we're going to let you in, um, meet the founder and leader of this, Sawa Kasabian. So Sawa's going to come up. Why don't you guys welcome her up, please? All right, Sawa, thank you. For coming, appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So tell us a little bit about Folsom's Hope and how it got started. Sure. Folsom's Hope will be a building. It will be a resource center um, located right next to Theodore Judah Elementary School. Um, but really it got started um, about five years ago. I, um, like any good parent here in Folsom, wanted what was best for my children And when my oldest daughter started kindergarten about seven years ago, um, we were supposed to go to Theodore Judah Elementary School, but because I had heard not such great things about that school and thought, well, my children can't possibly do well there, I put her at a different school for two years, um, kindergarten and first grade. So as she was getting ready to go into second grade and my son was getting ready to go into kindergarten, Um, I also applied for a school choice for him to go to this other school. And that school choice form got rejected. (laughs) And I kind of freaked out a little. (laughs) thought, I had a lot of fear surrounding putting my children at this school that I had heard not such great things about. And God had already been working on my heart um, to be obedient to him (laughs) before this. And when this happened, I saw it as an opportunity to ask God what he wanted for us. And he was pretty clear that we were meant to be there. So out of obedience, I sent my children there, and that was five school years ago. And God took about six months um, while I was in my son's kindergarten class and my daughter's second grade class to show me things that I didn't always want to see that were uncomfortable, the reality that many of these children there were living in. It just broke my heart. So about six months into my first school year there, I was at the library with my own children, and I saw these students from Theodore Judah walking down, really with no place to go. And in that moment, God clearly told me, these children need a place to go after school. And he gave me a vision of a building to be built. Um, And the after-school program he helped me create about four years ago. He's opened doors to mentoring programs for me to start at Theodore Judah and other campuses, um, and this building that he showed me will be Folsom's Hope. Yeah. So one of the encouraging things for me when I watch someone like you, and I, I look at you and I go, you are part of the tribe of the grace filled. But that transformation didn't happen like as soon as you put your faith in Christ. No. There was this <laughs> ongoing change that God wants to bring you through. Absolutely. Which, you know, you know, you look at your own life, you go, oh, I'm, I'm not like that. Well, the Lord is working on all of us still as we... Um, grasp what it means to be filled with grace. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about um, what kind of programs and services you do provide and you will be providing through this facility. Sure. So currently, there are mentoring programs, as I mentioned, an after-school program for some kids at Theodore Judah and actually Blanche Sprint's kids walk over every day as well. So those, that school, those two school campuses engage in this after-school program. And there are various other resources here in town that 
as you're working with these children, you realize their families need resources as well, Edu parent education, ESL classes, just various things to make them a healthy family unit. And some of those things are located here in Folsom, but just need to be in one place to make it easier for people to access. And then some of these things are as far away as Sacramento, um, and people who don't have transportation or the ability to get down there don't have access to them. So my hope is that we will bring those, and we've been actively engaged in conversation with various resource providers to have a space in Folsom's Hope for those. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're a follower of Christ, mm -hmm. and as you lead this, you come from a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. Is everything that, it, that happens at Folsom Hope, is it all Christ-oriented? I mean, obviously, job training is not necessarily Christ-oriented. Mm -hmm. who, who are you partnering with in this journey? Yeah, so various people. There are Christian ministries that we're partnering with, but there are also, you know, City of Folsom has partnered with us, and Micron and Kaiser has partnered with us for this after-school program, and Oak Hills Church has partnered with us for so they aren't all necessarily Christian ministries. Yeah, Oak Hills Church, we wouldn't call them well, Christian. Well, no, no, not Oak Hills Church. <laughs> no, we not would, Oak we Hill would. Church. No, they've uh, been one of the greatest supporters, yeah. really, of all that's going on, including community dinners monthly that yeah. we hold um, that will be in Folsom's Hope as well. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, not all resources that these people need are Christian, but they're needed. But ultimately, our only hope is in Jesus. Absolutely. We know that as followers of Christ. And anything else that we seek to fill that with is going to fail us. Yeah. So. so give us a little bit of a picture of how the Folsom Cordova School District is involved because there's some really miraculous things happening from a secular public school district mm -hmm. providing space and land and those things. Tell us about sure. that. Yeah. Well, our current uh, school district Superintendent Debbie Betancourt is a sold-out follower of Jesus, <laughs> and that has really opened a lot of doors and opportunity for this to move forward, and she knows who put her in her position. <laughs> she knows who she loves, um, and she is on our executive team for this Folsom's Hope, and so she has really paved the way. All of the ministry that I do really is done within schools right now, the mentoring after school. All of that is done with a coat drive, you name it, um, and so it's been a beautiful way to to partner with the school to have access to these children, but to be a Christian ministry. And yeah. so they now, um, about 50 years ago, the school district purchased 13 acres of land where Theodore Jeta currently is. And most schools are just 10 acres of land. So there's these three acres of surplus, and um, they will be leasing us two and a half of those acres of surplus which we thought would be for 60 years, but apparently, according to their lawyer, they can automatically do a one-time renewal. So we, ha we will have a 120-year lease for a dollar a year. <laughs> for a dollar a year. For a dollar yeah. a year. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. So uh, we're trying to raise a certain amount of money then to make that happen. What's that? About $1.5 million. Okay, mm -hmm. so all of you over here who are extremely rich or how, you know, <laughs> no. Um, so, but that's really, that's part of us. That's, you know, one of my passions when I began to hear what Saul was doing was to, to find out, couldn't the church lead the way in giving? You know, there are some really generous organizations in our community. Intel, for one, has been, you know, hugely involved in our community, giving computers and those kind of resources. And, you know, as, a, as an organization, they have more resources than we have at Lakeside Church, but nobody has more resources than God has. Mm -hmm. And why can't the church lead the way in providing for something like this or planting seed money for something like this 
so that the community is affected, so that this town is different because this church exists and someone like Sawa, part of the tribe of the Gracefield, is making this thing go forward. But we get to, we get to team up in that thing, yeah, right? Awesome. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good stuff. Any last things you'd like us to know about Folsom's Hope that um, I haven't asked you about yet? Um, I think the thing that God really put on my heart um, that I certainly didn't know when I came to Theodore Gita, um, you know, we have a call as Christians to look out for widows and orphans. And believe it or not, we have orphans in Folsom, California. <laughs> they don't quite look the same as they do in Africa, but they're out there. You know, the, the first year that I started the mentoring program at Theodore Gita, there was a little girl who seemed old to me at the time because my older daughter was in third grade, so that was my you know, but she's eight in third grade, and she got herself up every day on her own, was late to school almost every day, got herself fed when she got home from school. You know, to, she took care of herself only, you know, and just thinking about this, this year, we have a little first grade boy who last year repeated kindergarten, wasn't ready to move on to first grade, and last year he had 58 absences. Mm-hmm. We have 180 days of school and he lives across the street. <laughs> so he couldn't even make it to school 58 of those days and wasn't ready to move on to first grade, but they couldn't retain him in kindergarten again. So, you know, it's just these kids just need, they need help. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the opportunity to be able to help. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Sawa, thank you very much. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to pray for Sawa and for Folsom's Hope. I want you to pray with me on this, and then be ready for it. We're going to give an offering in a minute, okay? <laughs> All right. That's, good job. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you for Sawa and for the work that you're calling her to do and, and the work that you're calling us to do together with her, whether it's to volunteer with her at Folsom's Hope or to be able to give resources toward it. Um, we just want to be a part. We want to have your blessing. I pray you'll bless Sawa as she leads this charge. May she continue to hear from you. May she continue to follow you obediently and faithfully and with great grace. Lord, give her your blessing. Give us your blessing. May we be, in fact, the tribe of the grace-filled. Amen. All right. Thanks, Allah. God bless you. Thank you. All right, so here's the deal on, on Folsom's Hope. Next weekend, we're going to give an offering together toward Folsom's Hope. We're going to have a couple of opportunities. One is to give an end-of-the-year gift to Lakeside if you want to help the church move forward that way. One is to be able to help Folsom's Hope and to say, let's give some seed money to get this million, million and a half dollars raised, and let's get that thing up and running as fast as possible. So that's coming next weekend. Today, we're just giving our regular offering to the Lord, but it's a chance to celebrate, so let's give an offering. Yeah.